Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. Please join us on the sofa. Imagine that I'm passing you a cup of tea, a nice cushion so you can settle in comfortably and we can all have a little chat together. So we're continuing with the Lao Tzu series today and we are on chapter 74. Now we've we've seen this one coming for a while and uh, been puzzling over it. So it's a little bit of a a bit of a, an odd one, a bit of a tricky one, possibly a few things <coughs> desperately lost in translation, perhaps. So let's have a little read through it and see what we think. Chapter 74 If the people are not afraid, it is useless to try and scare them with death. And if people are afraid of death, and you make a point of hanging every criminal, who then would dare to do anything? Any killing must be done by an official executioner. If someone else were to do it, it would be like trying to copy a master carpenter, and if you try to cut like him, you will only bloody your own hands. So as I said there, a bit, a bit of a funny one this one. So let's start to go through it line by line. Let's start off with the, the first, first couple. Yeah. If the people are not afraid, it is useless to try and scare them with death. And this course is just, just a sort of basic observation of yeah, you, you, human societies. Yeah. You can have uh, draconian punishments and death penalty. Uh, and employ both of those w widely and uh, and yet still have like massive crime in a society uh, high rates of murder at the same time this is perfectly perfectly possible and it comes about when people think they've got nothing to lose of course you know if you're desperate enough You'll think, well, okay, it's, it's shit or bust now. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and if I get killed, so be it. You know, so it's just a straight, straightforward observation. But desperate people will not, will not be deterred. I mean, it takes a certain pitch of social unrest and misgovernment for that to be arrived at. But we, we're seeing it. We've been seeing it in Iran. In recent weeks, I mean, and the government is assassinating people and locking them in jail and throwing the key away, you know, for for, for daring to raise their voices even. You know, so there's, there's something about the dynamics of power within society, societies here, you know. And Lao Tzu's alert to this all the way through because remember, he's advising a ruler uh, who's either some kind of feudal lord in ancient China, you know, two and a half thousand years ago in China, some feudal lord in a feudal system, or an imperial emperor. So the, the, the whole book is structured around a sage um, being considered the advisor of such a ruler, or in fact being such a ruler himself. And a lot of the political advice is for the sage rather than for, for, for the people. And as, as we've said on numerous occasions, it's a it's a soft touch, gently, gently approach, approach, approach the government. 
it, you could you could say that uh, Leptus is alert to the mob, <laughs> and that they can be roused. You know, if you push them hard enough, they will roust, and there's a lot of them. You know, so he's, he's, he's all the time offering formulas to feudal lords to keep the people happy. You know, and it, and it is. It's I mean, it's <laughs> a lot of it can make your hair curl these these days. You know, because well. You know, just keep, you know, keep their lives simple. Don't educate them. <laughs> this is Plato's Republic as well, you know, uh, where people are kept in the dark for the, for the sake of social cohesion. Um, and though in Lao Tzu's hand, it's a, it's a much more, it's a much more kind of you, less fascistic treatment of this conundrum than Plato's treatment. It still, it still, nevertheless, falls under the rubric of feudalism or, or, or feudal style imperialism. No, it's just, a, just a, an archaic society that, that doesn't have the internet or newspapers or, or universal literacy or any of those things. So he's making an, yeah, he's making an observation about political st stability of a community in a time when it seems as though there wasn't that much, you know, and there were attempts to establish it. Hence the nature of the advice. Yeah. So, yeah, these, uh, this general theme of the low level of intervention by governments, letting communities organise themselves around simple agriculture and, 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 and so forth, you know. And as long as people are not starving and they're not being persecuted and they're not being taxed into non-existence, that society can kind of function under its own natural impetus. So that's that's the meaning of the first two lines. It's just simply reiterating what he said a thousand times by now, because we are kind of pretty near the end. In fact, these these last few are all addenda. They seem to have been or coda. They were added on at some point and thought to be authentic. And I don't know who, who decides these things. I don't know academics <laughs> and so forth. You know. I've decided, oh, well, we stick this on the end, you know. So, 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 yeah. It, it, so far, so good in complete keeping with everything that we, we, we've we've heard from the man up till now. Yeah, good government. Just, just from the point of view of the government, you want to have an easy time. So just, you know, bear in mind that desperate people will do anything and will fuck you up eventually. And it's, it's that one, and it's a warning. Our, our politicians need, need to heed. You know, it's it's a foot all over the world, really. And the the British people amaze me at just how much shit they will take. I'll carry on bearing that in mind with the next stanza. Here it is. And if people are afraid of death, and you make a point of hanging every criminal, then who would dare to do anything? So it's like paralysing this society. Yeah, it's well. Again, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's that's the best interpretation of that uh, that, that that stands there. Is that if you if your laws are absolutely draconian, and there are hundreds and hundreds of them, so many that nobody can remember that you can't walk outside your door without breaking the law, that yeah. it will paralyse society. 
Yeah, and it will stifle innovation yeah. and creativity and all manner inventions. Of, and all manner of things. I mean, and this is the objection of, of the, the sort of Hayekian right to, to centrally planned econ- economies, is that it stifles innovation. It's, uh, you know, that you need raw, raw rampant gladiatorial cap- capitalism to stimulate innovation. And, and uh, uh, corporations innovate in order to beat the competition. They come up with a new bit of, and it's all about automation, right the way back to the, the 18th century. It was always about increasing productive powers with machines, always. You know, it's not actually true. I mean, companies do innovate in small ways in order to beat the competition by requiring less workers to make the same amount of produce. You know, or a better formula for this, that, or the other, and so on. Of course, they do. They do. It does at that level stimulate innovation. But every component of a, of a, a mobile phone was invented in the public sector, either in universities or by the military. The internet was a military thing to start with. You know, and and touch screens and all that stuff. Military invented them. All all that Apple did and and other people who, and Samsung and so on he put the bits together once they'd been allowed to come into the public domain you see the same with space travel that was all done by governments until just very recently now now, now that the, the technology's advanced to such a level that the, uh, and, and been released into the public domain such that Tesla you know such that Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos can, can, can actually do it on a private private level but not without Decades and decades of research and development done by the might of the state, and only the state, especially a state like the US state, can muster the resources to do that. You know, so this is so that the innovation thing is isn't exactly true, even though it's it's correct to observe that you can constrain a society so much that 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 it, that it stifles itself to death. I mean, there's some view that that is what happened to the Soviet Union, that it was sclerotic through too much state, centralised state control, through attempting to centrally plan the economy instead of leaving it to markets and so forth. Again, I don't think it's entirely true. I don't think it's entirely true. I think the arms the arms race, the Cold War, it busted them up, you know, basically. They were, they were, they were, they were out-competed and ostracised sufficiently on the global scale to not be able to sustain the project. Bear in mind that the Soviet Union started as, as a few, as a near-feudal country. They, the serfs were only emancipated in Russia in the, in the late, somewhere in the middle of the 19th century. Oh, God. I mean, we got rid of them here. I mean, pretty well feudalism, apart from remnants, like the royalty and so forth. But basically, functioning feudalism died, died out hundreds and hundreds of years before then, you know. I suppose you could say the, the French Revolution did pretty well sweep it away, you know, in the rise of industrial capitalism. So, again, not quite exactly true, you know. But but the general observation, I think, is quite a good one, you know. But what he's saying is it depends on the people being afraid. <laughs> if they feel this, yeah. you won't be able to pull it over them. You know, you won't be able to lord it over them. When they, as soon as they become fearless, and if you're fucking them over, they'll come and get you. 
as they have done numerous times on this planet again since time immemorial, you know. Yeah. Revolutions are real things and they happen. From time to time they happen. I'll be looking forward to our very own here in Britain any time now, folks. Any time now. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, there's some kind of useful stuff in here, you know, and, he, and, he, and he's, he's correct, you know. So I think, I mean, for me, ideally, p people, ordinary, ordinary people would be, would be educated. They'd know what's going on and they'd be fearless and then they would be unstoppable as a force. Yeah. I mean, left to ourselves without any capitalism, we are very curious monkeys, aren't we? Yeah, we invent yeah. shit all the it time. It's just like, um, I mean, if, if human nature is anything, which we've discussed at length, it's uh, it's it's this. We, we mm. are curious monkeys and mm. we always want to know and look and find out yeah. and try things and try uh, different things or try better ways of doing things yeah. and inventing things. You know, we yeah. can't stop ourselves. We do try, we, we do tr we do try to enhance life. And if, the, if I had a criticism of Lao Tzu, apart from the model, which is probably just due to centuries of different authors and different editors and maybe maybe muddle anyway you know there's maybe some apart from that uh, uh, I mean this wonderful text I would if I had a criticism of it it would be that it un it underemphasizes in its promotion of a bucolic oddly changing peaceful sleepy life off in the village content city of pigs Socrates' city of pigs you know I'm happy to watch my, my grandchildren playing in the dirt and, and having a few few olives and a bit of feta and a glass a glass of wine on a Saturday night and that's that's me, I'm done, I'm cool. But it underemphasizes and Socrates underemphasizes well, you know, that 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 tendency to enhance life. But it's a bit ironic in the in in, in this in, in, in the case of of, of, de of this Deism, in that it did produce scientific advance because of its way of looking at nature. It had a dispassionate way of looking at nature, which uh, sort of, in a sense, you might say, trained consciousness into a, almost a scientific style of, of observation. There's a lot of observation, there's a lot of looking at nature, and that, and that become the basis of, of, of a scientifically and industrially advanced civilization that was way, way ahead of the West. Yeah. What, what, what was invented in China hundreds and hundreds of years before it got to the West? Gunpowder. Well, okay, maybe a good thing, maybe not a good thing. Yeah. Silk. Paper. Paper money. Huge irrigation schemes. All done by Deviced engineers to, to enable massive food. A massive navy. At one point, China built this biggest navy the world's seen. It's somewhat, yeah. Of merchant ships, enormous, enormous ships. Many, 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 many developments, partly from the Devist outlook, with its, its contemplative observation of nature, which comes kind of close to a scientific c c curiosity, you know. And he did, as I mean, as Joseph Needham says in his massive work, you know, Science and Civilization in China, many, many volumed work, very detailed, smashing read. <laughs> China revolutionised itself, according to Needham, because of the invention of a yoke for oxen, so you could harness 
the ploughing power and self and the traction power of oxen much more efficiently than just putting a rope round the neck, you know. And things like that, and it's full of subtleties like that. So it, it, it's a bit unfair on those two to say, oh, well, he, 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 he de-emphasises human ingenuity and, and, and it's, it's urgency to express itself and our urgency to improve our lot. It's because we want our children to live a bit longer than we did. Yeah. Because we see, we, see, we, we see a problem. We think we can probably overcome that and then it'll be so much better for people. It is, it is to do with that kind of basic, raw, materialistic, wanting things better, as well as curiosity. But without the curiosity, that wouldn't work. But without the urgency, the curiosity would just be idle. Would be, we'd be fantasising about, well, it does happen periodically in history. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And that can occupy you for a lifetime, you know. That would be your curiosity, but not your urgency to, de to, to develop society and production and um, the, the wherewithal for sustaining and enhancing life. And I think Lutz is a bit low on that because of his rhetorically wanting to put this utopia in, in front of us of a, a very, 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 very peaceful and ordered rural society in which people have a great, admittedly, he's, he's good on this, have a great deal of freedom in, in the context of a very basic rural economy. Partly the, uh, the curiosity goes along with this tremendous feeling of satisfaction and reward that you get when you, when yeah. you attempt to do a new thing. Yeah. Um, like you're building your barn in a, in a different way to make it a bit bigger or make it function a little bit better or to keep the rats out or however, yeah. you know, yeah. a new way of storing food. That means your food will not now last like a couple of years rather than maybe just six months, something like that. Yes. So there's this uh, emotional sort of element. You get this emotional payment when, when yeah. you succeed at something as well, don't you? So we're yeah. quite hardwired because we enjoy it, you know, we just yeah. get such a buzz well, out of when we try someone, make something and it works, yeah. Mm. Which the dopamine hits yeah. you. Know, and it, and it, it's <laughs> you a rather mass, like that, yeah. It's a, it's a huge motivator, you know. Yeah. Well, it's at the root of motivation, you might you might. Add. I mean, okay, this again is, is crude, but, you know, that is just, it, it, all of this plugs, what we're saying here is more generally and more usefully perhaps is that all of this plugs into our animal nature anyway he goes on and he says well if you're going to hang every criminal you've got to do it you've got to have an official executioner you have to have an official executioner <laughs> well okay it can't be just like oh well he's been he's been we all decide that we don't like the bloke who's been letting his dog poo in front of our uh, front gate every day yeah so, so we, 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 we rouse the neighbours and we wait for him to come and we all gang up on him and string him up from a lamppost, you know. <laughs> well, that too is not, not for that, even though, again, this happens from time to time, yeah. you know. You, 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 if you get social breakdown, you, you'll get everybody will be the executioner, you know. Every street will have its own. Yeah, but I see advocating against that is very yeah. sensible. Yeah, so... All killing must be done by an official. And then he tries to, then it gets weird. He tries to say, well, it's a definite skill, which it, which it is. Executioning. Execu well, ex executing people yeah. is a, def a definite skill. If you want to execute someone and you, you know, in a, an efficient yeah. and painless way, it's yeah. like you 
probably do have to know what you're doing. You do have to know what you're doing. He says if you don't know what you're doing, well, you'll get blood. Blo- you'll get you get this. You'll you'll bloody your own hands. And I think he's referring there to like, well, the the if you're deciding you're gonna you're gonna kill people, uh, in order to deter crime, but you let anybody do it. <laughs> you're yeah. going to end up with this mess so we've got to have oh, this official execution yeah, and I, yeah. I think he's trying it's a reductio absurdum or an attempt at one bear in mind he likes this rural peace he doesn't want us like you, you know ex- executing everybody and making everybody afraid in fact his whole thing is that the people are happy mm. they, enjoy, they enjoy their families they enjoy their work because they, they don't have to work they have to work but they don't have to work too hard they just have to go steady and in the rhythms of rural life and they're, they're, they're living the co- in the contemplation of nature, inside that, you know. And, uh, which, again, is why they developed the science and the agriculture to such a pitch, because they were like, living inside and observing and, you know, quietly going about it. So the, this isn't a society that's paralysed with fear because the police are so fucking maniac, mad, you know, and, and, and so psychopathic. This isn't that. So this is a bit of a reductio absurdum, a reduction to absurdity. To point out that well, you don't really want to go down that line, you know. Um, you don't really want to go down. That line. And I think, I think, to be consistent, you'd have to say, well, the society is better in which the people are not fearful, in which the people are fearless. Even he would see that, given that he, he, he imagines this well-being as a kind of harmony with the Tao. Okay, it's special people who can do that, sages and, and rulers. But at the same time. I think he, he he's inferring he would want it for the people, yeah. As well, so it doesn't it doesn't fit for him to want a police state in this bucolic society where people live this this easy going is the thing, easy going, satisfied, slightly sleek. The idiocy, what Marx called the idiocy of rural life, you know, just panning out, and, and this is his, this is his utopia, city of pigs. So he can't really be one in. Massive draconian punishments and a place. No, no. I mean, in the in this context, this is what made me think of. is a film called uh, Peer Point. And if you've seen of it, it's called Peer Point. And you must watch it if you have the stomach for it. It's the story of Mr. Peer Point, who was Britain's last executioner, and he was a pub landlord. But every time the the, the state, the, some, a death sentence was passed on somebody. Um, he, his job would be to go and you know uh, the uh, and hang them, and and it's the story of him. And he, he he inherited the job from his father. His dad was the executioner. That's why they asked him. Then and he got his dad's notebooks and he he kind of worked out how to do it. You know, because yeah. apparently if you if you, if you if you drop them too far, it rips their head off. And if you don't drop them far enough, they don't die, and you have to sort of go in there and kill them, you know. So, he, 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 the state's eager not to have those kind of things happen. So, Mr. Pierpoint was their man, and uh, it's that story. And uh, eventually, Pierpoint was enlisted to hang all the, the Nazi war criminals after the trials at Nuremberg, and there were hundreds of them. They, 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 hung, they hung them right up, right, you know. To, to, sort of down the ranks, as it were, to a certain level. Others were, like, told off and denazified and put in jail for a bit. And, and quite a few escaped and all the rest of it, you know. And some some did deals with the Americans because they knew how to build rockets, this kind of stuff. 
So um, some got grabbed by the Russians and ferreted off to Siberia, but a lot of them were just hung. And it was an industrial scale like hanging, so they got peer pointing, and he was doing them four at a time. You know this kind. Of... Anyway, I would watch it because, and it's played Timothy Spall stars as peer point. So, and it's 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 quite distressing. You know, it's quite it's. Quite, it's, it's quite a kind of grueling sort of watch, but massively in, 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 informative and intriguing about they just the, the whole psychology surrounding this thing of the state taking life. Mm. You know, worth a watch. Yeah, excellent job by Timothy Spall. So if you get hold of that, watch it and then read this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it's an advo advocacy of the, the, the death penalty, but I think it's an observation of how, how, how power dynamics operate in societies. And it, of course, like Socrates, Lepsu's telling us the story of the simplest kind of society. Uh, well, you know, one step up from the kind of the, the, the nomadic band of hunter-gatherers, you know, as soon as a, a, a sort of very simple agricultural society were under some sort of feudal power dynamic or feudal strike imperial power dynamic you know and it's down to whoever can actually focus the power get the troops get the soldiers and all the rest of it as to who ends up wielding power you know in 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 many many instances it's an, people kind of think though that that's an that that's a uh, an inevitability and it isn't I mean, the thing to realise here is that over, over the great span of human history, there are many, 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 many modes of organising society have been tried and, and used and lived with, sometimes for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Very, very different from each other. Some without this power dynamic at all. You know, and some with the idea, for instance, that you can have a temporary power dynamic. Now... To, to get your head round this, you should read uh, the two Davids, David Graeber and David Wengra, anarchist anthropologists, their book called The, uh, the Dawn of Everything, which came out after the death of David Graeber. And it's a very fan it's a fanciful kind of book in which the, these two illustrious archaeologists um, these two illustrious anthropologists Consult what they call the archive, and it's the archaeological, the and it's the archaeological archive. You know, so they can go back right, 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 right the way back. But uh, but all but also like the literary archive. So, for instance, they spend a good deal of time looking at writings from the fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century of early of encounters of Westerners, which were usually priests with Native Americans. And talking, having discussions with their philosophers and their theologians, you know, and listening to what they had to say about things and recording it and all this stuff that's in the Latin, it's in the Vatican. These guys go and look at this stuff. They call it like, you know, plundering the archive. But also, the, the other aspect of the archive is anthropology, is the societies that still exist around the world, which are kind of vastly different from this industrial capitalism, you know, light, light stage capitalism, uh, which in many people's minds is, is inevitable. As Mark Fisher said, you know, uh, uh, paraphrasing uh, Fre uh, Frederick Dramison, you know, and he even wrote the book, 
with this title, um, Capitalist Realism. And, and the, the thesis there, it is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. I mean, it's a, it's a cry of despair, that book, and Fisher killed himself, you, you, you know. Just the, the despair, it's all this shit, it just, you know, coupled with the tendency to the depression, he, he killed himself, he's a very, very smart man as well. But he points, he points, he points it out. You know, that in our minds, we can't change it. But but the, the two Davids say, well, actually, just take a look round at what human beings have done and they are currently doing. And none of this is inevitable. None of it. It doesn't have to play out like this. And there's this, this one example that struck me, uh, which com comes from the the, the reportage of the uh, Native Americans uh, brought back by early Europeans. Um, explorers and settlers in the, the, the so-called New World. And it's the example of a society in which there, there are no chiefs or anything like that. What if there is a chief? People don't really take that much notice because the chief's got like half a dozen bodyguards and if, if, if the chief says something you don't want to do it, you just get out of reach of the bodyguards, you know, you just kind of move out of it and carry on doing your thing. You know, that people don't feel compelled by this chief who's just some in their minds, a bit of a bit of a, a guy who's doing, he, 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 yeah, he's a bit national. He's, he's doing his, um, he, he's playing. He, he, he's made a career out of playing with the dressing up box, you know, <laughs> a bit like our kings yeah. and so forth, you know. Yeah. And uh, but this society, imagine, say, well, they talk about, it, say, well, these guys have got no chief as such. He said, but if they get into a war with another tribe, they appoint a war chief. He says, but as soon as the war's over, that's it. He's out. You know, and they say if there's a bit of like they've got to got to get the shit together on some agricultural summit, they'll 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 vote for somebody or they'll appoint somebody to, to deal with that project. You know, but but they, if they get any airs and graces, they fuck them off. You know, it's just like <laughs> you know. And he 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 recounts the um, this one tribe where, where he was talking to uh, where the guy's talking to some Jesuit priest or something, and he's. He's saying you people are completely mad. You white Europeans are completely mad. Priest says why? He says because you've got this idea that one person can tell another person what to do. I've never heard anything so preposterous, right? So all all this 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 very muddled and problematic little standard throws all that up in in my mind. My mind sort of dredges the archive and the bit of it that I've internalised and starts going juggling those balls around and thinking, oh yeah, you know, there is stuff to understand here, you know, but, and of course, power dynamics like the one he describes there, where you have got, you have got like, the government that can decide to, to terrorise the people with draconian punishments in order to produce, maybe to quell some incipient rebellion or something like that, you know, that, and that power dynamic plays out all the time, and it's very, very dominant on the planet now, but it, it hasn't always been like that, and it doesn't have to be like that. We know that for a fact, because we have the counterfactuals of societies that don't operate even remotely along those lines. So this is very useful for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. and, and But the other theme that it, that it, that's brought in there, and it's a little bit sort of like sitting sitting in the back row but it's nevertheless there is, is, is you know is, is the desirability of fearlessness 
or the desirability of being sort of attached to life and not wanting to die and, and therefore pr uh, uh, vulnerable to being intimidated by any kind of bully, which is basically what a hegemonic state is. It's a bully, you know, that uses violence, ultimately violence, to get you to do what it wants you to do. But if they can brainwash you and not have to beat you up, they prefer to do that because beating people up is a bit distasteful. You actually need special people to do it, as they point out. You need your peer point. You need your, you, you need your, your kind of... Uh, you need your accomplished torturers. <laughs> yeah. And so forth. So, I think all that's in there, in the muddle. And that's what I would like, like to, to bring out, is, is, is you know, we're being advised here, I think, to think about fear versus fearlessness, you know, in life, and actually appreciating life, love of life, you know, and, and how important it, it, is, it is if you want an ordered society, and who, who wants, I want to live in a peaceful society, don't you? Peace is a very great good, and if you want that, you have to take account of of the fact, and it is a fact, that, that if people are driven to desperation, they will have nothing to lose. And then, if you're the government, watch out, you know. Okay, folks, thanks for being here with us in our living room, snuggled into the sofa. I hope you enjoyed that and uh, found it interesting, and we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs>